So when it's time to listen for content, they can actually hear the pitch. They can hear the differences. They can hear the education you want to offer them. If they're not there yet, not only can they not hear it or understand it, they're not looking for it. They don't know they need it. And even if you put it in front of them, it goes by the wayside because they don't have circuits to interpret it. Hi, and welcome to this Inside Solutions episode on change management. With me today is Sharon Drew Morgan, who has been developing change management tools and training for leadership and sales since the 1980s. She has trained over 100,000 salespeople in change management issues that all people must address as they become buyers. She has also written many books on this topic. Sharon Drew is what I would call a thought leader who thinks outside the outside of the box. <laughs> and I think you will find her ideas about change management interesting and refreshing. So let's get Sharon Drew in here. Hi, Sharon Drew, and welcome to the Stop Killing Deals show. Thanks, George. I'm excited, actually. Nice. Great to have you. I'm also excited. And uh, you might have seen and listened to the last episode with Eero, I the did. change management consultant. And this episode, we're going to be following up on some of his uh, advice and insights. And see I have a lot to say. Bring it back to sales. I'm sure you have, and I'm excited to hear it. So he, he said one thing when I asked him about the definition of change management. Eero shared his definition, which is to get people to work and think differently. Knowing you, I'm, I'm curious about your definition of change management before we jump into how it applies to sales. Well, what he, what he didn't say was getting people to think differently according to the needs of the leader. He ignored saying according to the needs of the people involved. To discuss this, I want to tell you a little story. I have Asperger's, and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 61 years old. When I was 11, the whole world looked different to me, and people were doing things that looked and seemed odd, and it seemed that I was doing something right, but I was always in trouble. Why weren't they in trouble when they were odd and I was right? So I figured there was something wrong. So I began taking notes as to what they were doing versus what I was doing. And when it was important to try to fit in, like school, <laughs> trying yeah. to make friends, which was like impossible to my, till my 30s, I realized when I tried to change to be like them that I couldn't. So I could say the right thing once or twice, and then I would forget, or I would get it wrong. And I realized I wasn't able to make a change just because I wanted to. So I began studying and going through libraries. I didn't even know what to look for at first. And then I began to understand that it was my brain that was the problem, not my will or my discipline. And as I began studying things about brains, and this was in the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. I began reading about systems, which I didn't at first understand. And what I've come to understand is that systems are the core that holds everything together. I define systems as everything, anything, all the elements that belong in the same set of rules that agree to the same rules and norms. So a team is a system, you're a system, your family's a system, I'm a system. Any group of 
people has their own set of rules. So the people that work at Google are going to have a different culture and different system than the people at IBM. Most of the rules are unspoken, but they're understood by the people involved. And they're actually the glue that holds everybody together. When people come from outside, whether it's salespeople or change agents or coaches or doctors, and try to change these people, they're forgetting that there's a system involved that maintains the status quo. So when people are coming in from outside to try to make a change, no matter whether it's good or bad or right or wrong, they're coming in and the system feels it like this. Mm-hmm. Because the outside person is trying to change one thing according to their needs and not complying with the needs and set up of the system of the team or the group. The way change management has been done is an outside person, a leader, is pushing their needs into a group that has system, a system of rules and beliefs and values and mental models and history and norms. And they're resisting because you're trying to tell the system that it's bad or wrong Systems have this thing that we learned in grammar school called systems congruence, and they need to maintain balance. And when you change one part of a system, it's out of balance. That's the reason that the the buy side takes the time it takes, because it has to maintain and manage its system. That's why change gets resistance and failure, because it's pushing from the outside in. So that's where I believe I.O., is that his name, has it wrong. And all other change agents I've talked to, as soon as I hear someone say, well, people don't like change. No, they like change. What they don't like is the way change is being done to them rather than change agents collaborating and teaching them how to create their own new norms so they can achieve their own excellence. And then the change agent is just the sentry. And and if we so he talked a lot about this from an organizational change management perspective, right? And uh, some of the advice was, of course, to involve the people uh, that were going to um, have to actually be the ones. But he's involving them according to the behaviors he wants, according to his outcome, using his languaging, his beliefs, his goal and his needs. And then he's trying to get them to buy in quite annoyed when they resist. And this is a good intersection or or move over, I guess, to the selling and buying side of, of this, because that's what you and I are supposed to sort of reflect on today. Like if we if we take the word change management and ask salespeople and sales managers and sales leaders if they are aware of that what that is. In the context of selling, I would imagine that we will get a lot of no's. So here's when Dale Carnegie first created what I still call the modern day sales, because it, it, the intent of sales has not changed since Dale Carnegie in 1937, but who's counting? He couldn't use the phone very well because Mabel was on it and so the neighbor was on because they had party lines. He couldn't really get on a computer. He certainly couldn't get on a plane very well because the Wright brothers wouldn't have been too happy with him on the plane. So he would bring people 
he would bring the product to his neighbor's house and they would talk about it because he already knew what his neighbors needed. Sales was very different then. And sales was about need and product placement, solution placement. Unfortunately, those focuses have remained. How many people do you know that don't need to lose five or 10 pounds, right? Not many. A few. <laughs> yeah, A few. not too many. Need is the wrong indicator for how or when or why someone's going to buy. When you only look for need, not only are you spending so much time finding people that have need but aren't ready, willing, or able to buy, but you're finding that small subset that has finally gotten to the point where they are ready, willing, and able, and you're ignoring that whole group of people that are either en route or people you could be facilitating through their change management. So here's the deal. About 20 years ago, maybe more, I unpacked all the steps of decision-making and change. It's the same if you're going to buy a new car as if your team is going to become more customer-focused. There's specific stages that are change management stages that all change follows. I'll tell you them in a minute. Until or unless the team, the follower team, the buyer, potential buyer team person, until they go through those elements, they're not buyers. They're not even buyers. Let's go back to the system for just a moment. Mm -hmm. Systems have systems congruence. They need to maintain balance. When there's a problem, it's telling someone that there's no balance, maybe. So the first thing they must do is figure out the givens so they can understand all the elements. One of the things they might do is go online and do a little bit of research. And then you have ABM all over them sending them stuff because they're prospects. Mm-hmm. They're not prospects. They're human beings starting to do a little research on how to understand the problem set that they have. They bring in the gatekeepers and they generally at the beginning forget Joe in accounting. But Joe in accounting is necessary and they will be bringing him in a bit later. The time it takes them to bring in all the stakeholders is the time it takes them to understand the full problem set. And an outsider can't understand who needs to be in that group because it's historic and it's systemic. Okay? So the original person has to bring in the right set of people to understand all the elements. Um, I was doing work with a client in Edinburgh, and he had a pretty cool uh, research solution. And the University of Portsmouth was trialing it. And the trial was a three-month trial. It was pretty robust. It was a cool trial. And she had three of these same trials, which usually after one, people buy it. Always after two. He's never even had three. And there we had three. And the woman called back and said, no, I can't buy. So we said, would you call her? Because this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So she was the head of learning and development. So I called her, I told, I said I was working with Peter and I was a student and I was curious what stopped her from being able to buy. And she said, my migraine. And I went, oh, okay. She said last year they hired a HR director who would have been her co-partner in the project. 
And he was a mean, nasty guy. And every time they met, she ended up going home with a migraine for two days. So she decided to never work with him again. And everyone was having these problems. And they all asked the corporate whoever to get rid of this guy. And they were, she was waiting all these months. So they got rid of him when she realized they were not getting rid of him. She refused to work with him and share budget with him and she couldn't buy the product. It had nothing, nothing to do with the product. Usually when people buy or don't buy, it's got nothing to do with the product. It has to do with the system involved, right? So number one, where are you? The person has to know where they're at in in the problem set. Mm -hmm. Once they realize what's missing, the first thing a system does is try to fix it itself. It doesn't go outside and go, oh, I have a problem. I think I'll buy something. Oh, my car is broken down. I'll buy a new one. No, you go to a mechanic to get it fixed. You try to fix the problem yourself. And then once you realize you can't, you have a bigger problem. And here's where salespeople don't understand this at all, which is really sad. The people have to understand that the cost of the solution is equal to or less than the cost of the problem. Because if they have to fire, let's say, eight people to bring in a new CRM system, they have to weigh the cost of that, and it might not be worth it to them. Salespeople are looking for need. Along this path, people have all kinds of needs. That doesn't mean they're buyers. Mm-hmm. So we have to stop focusing on need. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm creating a buying enablement app and I'm doing buying enablement coaching because no one is addressing how to facilitate the buy side, which is wholly different from the sell side. And it's all based on change management. And the sell side is based on placing solutions. So the sell side and the buy side are wholly different with different intents. And the sales side is so busy pushing solutions just like leaders are pushing their needs that what's happening is that buyers are resisting, buyers aren't showing up. They're not even buyers yet until they recognize the cost of the solution, okay? So we're forgetting the whole change management element Mm -hmm. of what people have to go through en route to becoming buyers. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you brought up the um, how selling was different a hundred years ago, or how it's how actually was. not different. It's the same. We're, we have different bells and whistles. Yes, I I, I understand. Yeah, I see what you I hear what you're saying. But there. as long as long as we're still pushing solution and looking for need, we are overlooking the possibility of helping all those people en route to becoming buyers. And helping them facilitate their process much more efficiently, capture them sooner, serve them, but you can't do it with the sales model because you're not trying to sell a solution at that end. So when you read a lot of sales advice online, I would say that a much, much of it comes from marketing departments of companies who want to sell something, right? Or would you not agree to that? <laughs> I am trying to figure out a way for sales and marketing to connect and work together. Right now, you've got ABM, 
that's only working with search terms, assuming that if you're searching for something, you're a buyer. Well, that doesn't make any logical sense. What marketing departments are doing is attempting to find names by doing content stuff, which is only interesting to people at the very end of their sales cycle, their buying cycle, their buy side. If it's of interest earlier, it's just to do research. It's not about buying. And sometimes marketing gives those names over to sales also going, it's a buyer, but it's not. And they haven't yet been able to figure out the difference between someone who's just doing research and somebody who's actually a buyer. So they're passing all these names on because they went and did a search. They're not buyers. So yeah, salespeople are getting them from marketing, but they're relatively invalid 95% of the time, approximately. It's a very sad situation. Everyone's frustrated and there's all this money being spent and the companies are, are spending, I think they're spending more than they're earning. I don't understand how they're able to afford all these ABM people and all these search people and all these... And then the salespeople are having difficulty selling because all they're doing is placing the solutions. And that's why there's so much failure. So which assumptions are we making as salespeople, sales managers, if we are? We're assuming that if you can see someone searching that they have a need, it's not true. You're assuming that the way to sell is to find people with a need. Not true. Not only that, people that have a real need can find you. Your date is online. You've got a fabulous website. You work so hard at getting all that you need on a website. You don't need to be pushing your content. If someone needs you, they can find you real quick, right? So we're assuming that by getting the right, salespeople are assuming by getting the right content to what they consider the right people at the right time, You'll buy, and if you don't buy, you're an idiot. They're forgetting the entire buy side, which has nothing, nothing to do with what sellers are selling or how they're selling. So if you don't seek out a need or a sale, how do you find buyers? Ah, believe it or not, it's easy. So listen to these two conversations, and you tell me who's the buyer, okay? I actually, years ago, I used to make 50 cold calls a day. I did that for about 20 years, 15 years. And I would say something like this. Hi, I'm Sharon Drew Morgan. Um, This is a sales call. Um, I have invented a buying facilitation model that helps buyers buy. There was my pitch. How are you currently adding new sales skills to your sales folks? For those times, you're looking to find buyers more efficiently. The first guy said, I read six sales books a year. I choose my favorite one, buy 1,500 copies, and I get them out to everyone. I tell the managers to take a different chapter every month for them to learn together and practice whatever the people are doing in that chapter that month. I said, ah, it sounds like you really like that. He said, I love that. Using the same question, the next guy said, gosh, 
I wish I knew how to get them the right tools. I can't, I've had training every year. It doesn't seem to work. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. Both of those guys have a need. One of those guys is a prospective buyer. It's obvious, right? Isn't it obvious? <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm feeling a trick question coming here. <laughs> no, it's not a trick. Whoever's looking for change. Instead of when you have someone looking for your product, they're already at the end of their buy cycle and they're in that percent that's competitive and you've got to start playing with price and whatever because you've got them looking at everyone in your category. When you find someone who's beginning their change management process, a product doesn't help them any. When you can teach people how to facilitate traverse their change, they're happy. They would prefer that their problem is resolved sooner. They just don't know how to get there, given they have to bring in Joe in accounting. They have to try a workaround. They have to understand the cost of the solution. You can't just wake up one day and just buy something. You have work to do. I tell a funny thing. If, you've been, if you're 26 years old and you're married one year and you have a new starter house that your in-laws put the down payment down and, and then you, your wife discovers she's pregnant, oh, yay. And you wake up one morning, you have, you've dreamt of a Lamborghini and you go down to breakfast and you want to convince her that you need to buy a Lamborghini. Do you want to bring a Lamborghini salesperson or a decision facilitator? You want a decision facilitator giving her details about the Lamborghini is ridiculous at that point. Yeah. Okay. So we need to start thinking about the buy side in terms of change management, change our skill set, change our tool set, change our focus. For that portion, and the marketing people would have to just put out articles about those different aspects of workarounds, even put out notes about the competition and not talk about the product. Because once you start talking about the product, you get resistance and failure, just like in any other change management. The problem is we have to stop talking about content during the change management buy side. Did that answer your question? I think I went a little off. Yeah. No, that's fine. I, I was, I'm just thinking um, what the audience might be asking themselves now or want me to ask. And I think one of those questions might be, isn't this overcomplicating things? If we had a, have a product that is novel, new to the market, uh, and we show it to people and they buy, why, why get into change management? Who's going to buy? And they're, they're responsible with those who have an obvious need. People will never do anything different until they have managed systemic change. And, and just a quickie there. So I guess if you look back and at products that came to market, like a refrigerator, uh, if you bring that idea to someone, I think they will overcome uh, their change management fears quickly because it's such a new product. The need Because is so it fills a problem in the system that has been there for a period of time. Right. The same thing happened when Steve Jobs came out with the phone. And you saw it and you realized, oh, my God, 
I can have my calendar on there. Oh my God, my email can be in my hand. All the problems you had already discovered and figured out that you couldn't take care of, mm-hmm. all of a sudden are in front of you. 99.9% of salespeople don't have that sort of unique problem uh, product. Yeah. And even educating people doesn't help because so I'm going to explain a little something about listening. This is really cool. My last book was about how we can hear each other without bias, which is really pretty hard because our brain doesn't allow us to. Mm-hmm. We don't hear words. Words are just puffs of air coming in through someone's vocal cords through the air. And they enter our ears as vibrations, as sound vibrations that have no meaning at all. And it's only through our brain and the brain, I mean, I can tell you all the pieces, but through our brain, does it end up being sent to a circuit that scientists call close enough to the incoming vibration? Where there's overage, the brain discards it and forgets to tell us. Where there's missing pieces, the brain says, oh, I think I'll take a piece from that circuit and shove it in over here. We end up misinterpreting, misunderstanding, absolutely messing up the meaning that the person intended. There is often no relation between what the person is saying and what the person is hearing. And it's not the fault of the person listening. Their brain is just telling us this gunk that we don't realize is wrong because our brain tells us it's true. I had an argument the other day with somebody. I left a message and I, okay, I always do. And I say, hi, my first name is, on the message. My first name is actually Sharon Drew. I know it's message. I know it's kind of odd, but I do use both names. Sharon Drew is my first name. So, (laughs) hi, my name is Sharon Drew. She calls me back and goes, hi, Sharon. And I said, oh, you didn't hear my message. She said, I did. You were very careful to tell me that your name was Sharon and your last name was Morgan. I mean, Drew. I said, no, actually, I said my first name was Sharon Drew. I said it like four times. She said, no, you didn't. You just gave me your first name, which is Sharon. Her brain didn't have a circuit to interpret what I was saying. Her brain told her my name was only half of my real name. It doesn't matter what we're saying if there's no circuits to hear it. When people are going through their change management, they're building new circuits in their brain at the same time. So when it's time to listen for content, they can actually hear the pitch. They can hear the differences. They can hear the education you want to offer them. If they're not there yet, not only can they not hear it or understand it, they're not looking for it. They don't know they need it. And even if you put it in front of them, it goes by the wayside because they don't have circuits to interpret it. There's nothing, nothing that we're doing on the sell side that facilitates the buy side. Nothing. And if we can add what I'm calling buying enablement, which is not buyer enablement because these people aren't buyers yet. They're not buyers till I have determined that the cost of the solution 
is equal to or less than the cost of maintaining the problem. That's why people keep doing what they're doing. I did um, a training program for a very, probably the largest multinational in the world. And we had absolutely astronomical results. So she called and said, oh my God, I never expected this. This was amazing. And she said, we love your buying facilitation model. It's just terrific. And I said, great, are we gonna train the other 15,000 salespeople? And she said, oh no. She said, it would cost us $2 billion to retrofit everything to have faster sales. We'd have to manufacture quicker. We'd have to have more trucks. She said it would take us three years to overcome the $2 billion expenditure. Now, if I were her boss and she said no to me, I would have fired her because three years is nothing for that, right? But the cost for her was too high. It had nothing to do with my solution or how good it was. So we have to add another piece to sales so that we can facilitate the buy side, but we have to learn new tools. I'm developing all new tools for a buying enablement process that have nothing to do with sales, but in the end we'll meet with sales because then sales will end up with a prospect. And then ABM can discover who is a real prospect. Imagine if marketing has a real prospect to salespeople. Right now they're just handing names. But it's possible if you consider the buy side and change management that you can hand over real names. So if if you are a salesperson or if you're a company, by the way, that does not have the latest iPhone or a refrigerator or, or some novel product that everyone needs, uh, I think all of what you've shared is basically something you have to fix. You have to learn how to understand and, and guide and help your potential buyers to go through their change management. Yes. And here's where it gets even trickier. We're used to being curious and asking conventional questions. The problem with conventional questions is that they're biased by the needs of the asker. I had to invent a new form of question that teaches people how to take their next step. Because as an outsider, as much as I would like to, I can't teach someone to take their next steps in their unique system with their unique norms and their unique people and personalities. But knowing the steps, I can lead people through the steps. I can create marketing material that address each of the stages. So when I was putting out my book on listening, I don't have a natural uh, market for listening. Mm -hmm. What I did was I put out an article called Meetings, the Pain, the Purpose, and the Possibility. Never mentioned my book. Mentioned the book in the footer. And everyone thanked me. They, they sent the article out. It was shared, I don't know how many hundred thousand times. It was insane all over the world. And I had a 54% conversion between the link in the footer and my new book. Okay. Because what, they all read it and then they went to the footer. Who am I? Mm -hmm. So how do you write articles that enable this process, this journey? 
how do you facilitate? And I create the facilitative questions. Maybe can people can create other questions. They can't be based on curious because if the seller thinks they understand that you have all the gatekeepers, that may or may not be true, and you can't do anything about it because they're so they're buying. You're not selling anything. There's an entirely different process. There's an entirely different toolkit. There's different needs, and the sales side cannot cannot be involved. What if we created a whole new group of professionals called buying enablers? I call them buying facilitators because my model is called buying facilitation. What if they were facilitators? What if they were buying facilitators or even buying enablers? They would have a different process. The problem that I see is that sales doesn't seem to want to let go their belief that if I give you the right content at the right time in the right way and I find the right name, you're going to buy it. It's actually not true at least 95% of the time. So the question becomes for the field, how do we begin thinking about buying enablement? How do we think about facilitating the buy side, understanding the buy side differently than the sell side? being willing to use different tools for the buy side than we do for the sell side? And how do we manage the change that all people have to go through before they become prospects? And when you have used your um, methodology, your models, your tools to help a buyer, to facilitate a buyer, what kind of pushback may you have gotten? Like, do people want to get this guidance and facilitation or do they push back and say i don't need your your assistance you're just a uh, someone who wants to sell me something uh let let me uh... i've never had that not in 40 years anyway i mean i've trained a hundred thousand people and i've never heard of anyone get no one person told me she had pushed back and i asked her the question that she used and she used a sales question when you're using the my, the model that i developed buying facilitation You're starting with a facilitation hat. So how are you currently ensuring that your folks have the tools they need in in a way that would maintain their success through time and keep your clients? What has stopped you until now from adding whatever tools you need? How would you and the decision team know if or when it were time to reorganize the group in a way that would help you do X. I teach them how to do, now I'm listening for systems. Salespeople listen for need. Facilitators listen for systems. Remember systems I started talking about? Sure. We listen for systems. Mm Mm-hmm. I got a call from uh, Jack Moore from Cancer Treatment Centers years ago in January. And he said, I've been thinking about calling you. And I finally decided, would you please come in and train us? We need your buying facilitation stuff. And I said, sure. But what stopped you from calling yesterday? Because I could hear that he was arguing with himself, whatever was going on that kept him and whatever kept him was systemic. Mm-hmm. Kept him from contacting me. So I said, what stopped you from contacting me yesterday? 
And he said, let me call you back. I have to think about that. December 17th, he calls me back. I'm Jack Moore. Remember me? I went, no, I don't remember you. Sorry. And he said, I called you a year ago. You asked me a question. What stopped me? And I thought about that for the first month. I yelled at you. I put the question on my desk and I yelled at you for uh, a month. Then at the end of a month, I said, okay, okay, okay. I'll own it. It's me. It's because of my ego. He said, and I realized that I didn't fire people I should have fired. I didn't do the reorganization I should have done. I spent the last year doing all the stuff that I should have done that was causing my problems that I should have done. And now I'm ready. So I could hear, I didn't hear he wants a pitch. I heard he had a glitch in his system. I pointed to him where the system was and smart guy. He fixed it. The downside, the down, the other side of that story is after we agree on times and books and so forth, I called him back and I said, by the way, I didn't tell you the price. And he said, you've, you've already paid for yourself. Just put in whatever you want. I taught him how to make the fixes he had to make. Right. It was systemic. It was change management. I was listening for the hole in the system. So we have to teach salespeople. Maybe maybe we don't teach salespeople, George. Maybe we do have an entirely different role of buying enablers who know how to listen for systems, who know how to pose facilitative questions, because they will understand that people aren't even prospects until they recognize the cost of the solution is bearable for them. So not only have you shared with us what, how change management, change management relates to selling, but you've also critiqued change management of not really understanding the systems involved to be successful in a change management project. Is that correctly? Yes. And, and when I hear that leaders are getting resistance, I go, it's not the people, it's the process. The people, are, are they want to be compliant, they try, but you're pushing your goals, your needs, your words, your outcomes. Help them determine each step they need. What are they missing? What are their problem issues? What has stopped them from resolving them? How can they fix the problem with their own workarounds? Do they have old trainers that they hired before, an old solution that they used before? Yes, the competitive people, but they're going to do it anyway. They must. And what is the cost if you go through the change? Let them figure all those things out. You guide them through their change management process. And then you stand and then you help them figure out what their end result looks like. As long as you've all agreed that the end result is better customer service, whatever you've decided on, will it look like you would have wanted it to look as the leader? It will not. Will it get you to where you all agreed you need to get? It will. And it will be better. And it will be more creative. And they will all have bought in to the process. And they will have worked together with no resistance. And why don't we do this? It sounds like skilled leaders ought to know this. So is it is it a fear so, of, of being slow or a fear of well first of all I was I'm the only person that's unpacked the 13 steps of change. 
And my ideas are have been, I mean, I did that about 40 years ago. So my ideas have always been a little bit ahead of the curve. Unfortunately, I've been fighting for 40 years to at least get close to the curve. Um, people haven't been taught this. People are not taught to listen for systems. They're taught to listen for content. People are not taught to pose questions that help brains put ideas together rather than pull data. So I've invented all this stuff that's um, unique and I'm happy to share it, um, but that's probably why, because schools, I, I, uh, I used to be friends with a man who's um, a big shot at Harvard Business School. And I ran into him recently and he said, oh, thanks for your facilitative questions. I said, you never learned how to formulate them. He said, oh, I took pieces from what you said and I made my own. I said, and how do they work with the brain to teach the brain how to put together the ideas coherently and systemically? He said, oh, I don't bother with that stuff. So I've had to fight that. But I think maybe it's time that people will want to learn this stuff so they can do it. Don't you think? I hope. I do. I do. I do. Like, I've always liked your work. I think it's, uh, it's interesting how we can um, make it just get people to embrace it and because it's i also find it to be quite frank with you it's not easy i mean you have to rewire that's right and I have learn a lot of what you've learned to do in the past and no and what i do is, is i add brain circuitry i don't teach i don't i add new circuits i don't change the ones you have i add new ones and it's not hard unless you're going to juxtapose what you're doing when you're just adding something new it's a lot easier yeah we could talk all day but i think we're out of time for this episode uh, so if the listeners want to learn more and maybe get in contact with you where, where do they best find you and your work sharon drew at sharon drewmorgan.com and i my website is sharon-drew.com and all of my models are on there, very clear. My buying facilitation model, the 13 steps to change, change management, listening, facilitative questions, they're all up there. And we can talk and we can discuss it and see if there's things you might want to learn. Happy to help. Beautiful. Thanks a lot, Chandru. Uh, really love what you're doing and your enthusiasm and uh, it all rubs off. Thank you.